Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, welcome back to uh, another episode of the Life Success and Legacy podcast. My name is Chris Bay, and I'm part of the team at Life Success and Legacy that gets to hang around with the founder of Life Success and Legacy, Michael King Everett. How are you, Mike, this morning? Good morning, Chris Bay. Uh, <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Vietnam or something. I don't know. That's an old uh, We've, uh, Robin, Robin Williams movie. We, we were scheduled to start this probably about 25 minutes ago, but as is uh, oh, likely boy. to happen on our team, we we delve off into life and support each other and tell stories and commiserate. Um, so we're, we're starting our recording a little bit earlier or a little bit later than we had planned this morning. <laughs> that doesn't matter to you, the listener, though. <laughs> no. So... Um, we have been um, making our way through Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and we have made our way all the way up to page 36 in the fifth edition. Page 36 is creating the entity. Mm. Um, so if you're listening in and you happen to have a copy of Becoming Your Own Banker, recommend that you have it open and, and just walk through this with us. Why are we doing this? Um, one is to honor Nelson Nash and his life's work. Two is also to tap into Mike Everett and his experience um, having been mentored and knowing Nelson and having heard Nelson's presentations dozens and dozens of times so that we can add a little bit more color to reading the book. Um, and we hope that that's beneficial to people who are interested in IBC as well as um, practitioners, those who are teaching IBC. So Mike, we're going to jump into creating the entity. Let me... Um, first kind of identify some of the key uh, points or concepts that we're going to be touching on uh, in this chapter. Creating the entity, first of all, one of the main ideas is we, we all assume or we now know that banking and controlling your banking function is beneficial. So we're going to kind of check the box on that. But then we're going to dig into, and Nelson digs into, why whole life insurance? And why does Nelson say it may be misclassified? We're actually going to talk about tomatoes and potatoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nelson does, so we're going to. Um, he does touch a little bit on the whole concept of retirement and the history of that. I've got a few comments on that. Then he also takes some time to talk about other life insurance products and his thoughts on those and a little bit of history related to that. So Mike, to begin with, um, 
Nelson starts off in creating the entity saying, in designing life insurance policies, the beginning point is the work of actuaries, the engineers of the whole process. Now we know <laughs> that you have an engineering mind. <laughs> so for our listeners this this the detailed part of how the actuaries go about their business is probably not at the top of the list of mike everett's priorities zero but the reason we we talk about this or the reason nelson talks about it is whole life insurance is the place to store your money and mm -hmm. why why is it safe why is it one of the best places that we can store our money? So, Mike, let's jump into this a little bit. Um, can you just kind of talk about when actuaries do their job and, and you know, they're pulling together data? Because that's really what they're doing. They're trying to find out when are people going to die? They can't tell you who's going to die. Right. They can't tell you when and, and why, how they use that information to create a really safe place for us to store our money. Well, so actuaries and, and, you know, we're going to, I'm going to give you broad, just broad ideas. So actuaries, which are really engineers, a whole life insurance, uh, they are, they use a table called the uh, CSO mortality table. But when they create these things, they use data on 10 million selected lives. I mean, it's a bunch. So they can accurately tell you how many people are going to die in a particular year? Now, the, the table that's on page 36 is 1958. I'm going to show it just so people have an image of what they're looking at. Yeah, 1958. So they can tell you how many people are going to die at age 45, 65, 80. But yet these mortality tables are created on an age span of up to 100. Now, the newer mortality tables are up to 120, 121. So keep in mind, this is really uh, just a table that tells you when people are going to die and how many people are going to die in a particular year. Now, I will tell you that I was talking to an older agent one time, and I love stories, by the way, so we're going to jump into a quick story. He had gone to his, uh, I believe it was his 50th high school reunion. Now, this guy was an actuarial type guy. He had an engineer's mind. I'm going to tell you what he did. He took statistics down and found out that these actuarial tables were almost 100% right. So, you know, that's that to me just tells me that these actuaries, these engineers of in the life insurance industry, they kind of know what they're doing, mm -hmm. which makes even uh, what we do even more beneficial for the client. Because as we're designing policies and creating the system and creating the entity, we're going to be able to help people think through of the, the whys that they might participate in the infinite banking concept. Well, and Mike, even looking at this table, um, I think you described it as either a pregnant snake or a snake yeah. who's eaten a rabbit or something, you know, like yep. it's, it's skinny on the ends, but there's this lump in the middle with, with the exception of prior to age 21, there is a significant amount of folks that, that pass away prior to age 21, relatively speaking. Um, those are kind of outliers in it, but I think that image 
tells us why our IBC policies are efficient, especially for those people who are kind of in that age bracket of, you know, 30, 35, all the way up to say age, you know, 50, 55, that range. Those are some of the most efficient policies because 75% of the people who make it to, what is it, age 45 or something like that? Are still alive. They're still alive at 65. <laughs> so people aren't really dying during that time period. Those are super efficient policies. Yep, they are. Um, it also speaks to the fact when we look at the number of, of folks, and I'm going to call them kids, that die prior to age 21, it is significant, which we always encourage our clients to start policies on kids yep. ASAP. Once they get to 15 days old, get a policy on them because yep. you never know when they're going to become uninsurable or something horrible may happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when they're collecting this information, they're not just grabbing people off the street. They, they've got a selected group that they're, they're tracking this data, right? Yep. They, they do. Yeah. So if you got, you know, cancer or, or some other kind of health issues, heart disease, you're not included in this bunch. And that's part of their underwriting process as well is that's why sometimes people get denied is they don't, they're not a safe bet, so to speak, for the life insurance company. Well, and you know, there, I can't tell you time and time again, you know, when we do somebody have somebody come in and, and uh, they're being underwritten and they come back and they have some sort of health issue, you know, we, we teach the infinite banking concept, but we are life insurance guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I have to reiterate, not just to myself, but to my client, this is life insurance. So it's the life insurance company that is going to issue a life insurance policy. So what they want to do is they want to make sure that these people are going to go down the road a ways. They don't really want people to pay the premiums and, you know, five, 10 years from now die. Right. So they're, they're doing this, they're doing their due diligence in under awesome. in underwriting before they issue the policy. And that's awesome because for us, when we're thinking about it for banking, we want the company to be very secure and safe and reliable with our money. Yes, so we do. And they've profitable. Been, yeah. They've been doing this for 111, 112 years. Right. And so they've kind of got the system down. They're super safe. They're super predictable. I'm now at the top of uh, the second column on page 36, and Nelson's talking about um, kind of the, the operations uh, of the company and how they use this data and all that stuff. What's in, he, he brings up dividends again, mm -hmm. and um, he says, if mortality experience is better than, than uh, indicated by the mortality table, then it will reflect that fact by better dividends. And how do we define dividends, Mike? It's a return of premium. Right. So if they did better than expected, that's right. Less people died than they anticipated. The company did well. So they return those those premiums to us in the form of a dividend, which is not taxable. Those and, dividends. And by the way, by the yep. way, that's an IRS uh, definition. That's not in the life insurance industry. That's an IRS definition. So um, th th those are not taxable, by the way. And it's also, it also reinforces why, um, as IBC practitioners, we are we signed a paper that says we will only work with mutual companies for this, 
Correct. Because again, dividends with a mutual company come back to the policy owners, not to any stockholders. That's right. The stock held company, those, those dividends go to the stockholders. So Nelson finishes up that paragraph. He says, in fact, the substantial increase in dividends paid by companies can be attributed mostly to better mortality experience in the past several decades. <laughs> and the reason being is because people are living longer. That's right. That's right. So, okay. So now we jump into uh, next, next paragraph there. He's talking about out of a uh, hundred out of the original thousand have died by age 45 and out of those remaining, 75% are still alive at age 65, okay? Mm, mm. And then he starts getting into life expectancy. What have we seen with life expectancy? It's, it's gone bigger. I mean, people are taking better care of themselves. We've got better medicine. We've got better medical facilities. I mean, we've got a specific uh, uh, doctors that do specific things. I mean, it's different than when, uh, when I was a kid. I mean, when somebody got cancer when I was a kid, guess what? They died. Yeah. They, they, they don't have the specialists like they, they have today. So we know for a fact, and, and these tables will actually show this, that people are going to live longer. People are taking better care of themselves. People have stopped smoking. They've stopped eating. Well, bad stuff. I can't say that myself. But, um, <laughs> you know, there, so there's been a, a giant increase in longevity. That, that's just the easiest. Well, that's what Nelson says. Yeah. So, so longevity, this brings up an interesting topic. Uh, if people are living longer and yet in our minds, what is the average age that people typically think about in terms of retirement? 65. Age oh my 65. Gosh. Yeah, that's me. So that hasn't changed. <laughs> right. That yeah. Hasn't changed. And yet we're living longer. Yep. Right. So, so Nelson speaks to that, and, and we've talked about in previous um, podcasts about how yep. Nelson took the term retirement out of his um, vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, now, he's totally in favor of passive income, Yep. which is really, I think, a lot of times what people mean by retirement is the freedom to step away from having to work for their income. He's totally in favor of passive income, but uh, the whole idea of retirement um, he's not necessarily in favor. And he gives a little bit, he touches a little bit historically on here, which made me do some additional research. Uh, you know how I am. <laughs> I do. And uh, we've shared in some of our, our live boot camps, and I won't share it all, but um, actually the whole idea of this age 65 goes back to Germany. Yep. The, the chancellor back in 1883, um, he had a problem in Germany because Mar Marxists were threatening to take control of Europe. So what he did is he said, hey, any non-working German over the age of 65, I'm going to give you a pension, okay? Here's the thing, though. Penicillin hadn't been invented yet. That's right. So nobody was living past the age 65. He wasn't a, he wasn't a dummy, right? Mm -mm. And yet, that age 65 has transitioned to across the world. Yeah. Actually, in 1935, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act in law. It was a tax implemented to help fund the program, and it was supposed to be short term, right? <laughs> so, so much for the short term piece. But that gives a little bit of the history of how we think about it. And what, what we're actually doing is we're taking people. So for example, Mike Everett, let's just say that you're 65, you're there. Yep. 
and you just hung it up and said, I'm done. I'm going to go play golf. I'm going to hang out with my grandkids and I'm, I'm not going to contribute. I'm not going to be a sage. I'm not going to contribute my experience and my knowledge, my learning I gained from Nelson Nash. I'm not going to do these podcasts. I'm not going to mentor young IBC coaches. I'm not going to teach clients who are interested in IBC. What a loss we would Oh my gosh. I'll just tell you, by you saying all that stuff, it, it catches my breath because I realize that in my life right now, these are my most productive years. Uh, and, and, you know, God has given me the ability to be able to communicate this, this concept to people, to be able to give people hope, to be able to give people the thought that there's, that there is possibility of freedom in their, in their, uh, in their financial world. And for me to just kind of disappear off of the earth and go play golf or do whatever, I, I think how sad, and you know, that's really the reason why they ended up creating this whole idea of retirement at age 65. Let's get these old people out of here. But yet this was the age when they were the most productive. And yet, by the way, when they did this, um, people were only living to about age 61 during this time period when this was all created. But now people are living, holy cow, 75, 85, we've got 90 year old people that are still in great health. I mean, I think about this guy out in Quinter, Kansas. He was 90 years old and still running uh, races. Yeah, I mean, he wrote a book at age 100 about him running a race. And I'm going, holy cow, I hope I'm that guy. I said to my kids the other day, I said, I'm thinking 120, 121. I think I'll be still kicking it around. I'd like to beat, you know me, I'm not competitive. Right. Right. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to beat the uh, the graphs and the charts. That's all I'm interested in. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> well, and, and when you look at um, our systems that have been set up, if if they're based on age 65 as a retirement age, yeah. even 67, it's really based on a faulty premise. It is, and and that that is part of what gets us into trouble just nationally and and actually across the world financially. So. Just, just some things to, to get people thinking about where does the age of 65 come from? And, and my observation of people that have bought into that age 65 retirement mm. and they quit or, or even at age like 62 and they're starting to look ahead, they're like, oh, I've just got three more years and then I can retire, those kinds of things. What I see is they start to drop off physically Mentally, Mentally, they're yeah. not engaged. They lose purpose in life. So when we talk with people, we're like, hey, tell us, when they mention retirement, we say, what does retirement look like for you? Yep. And really what they're meaning is having flexibility, freedom, and choice. And we're like, you don't have to wait till age 65 for that. Right. Let's get your IBC system going. You can have flexibility and freedom and choice way earlier than that. Right now. And have, yeah. and have passive income. So Let's start talking about what you really want life to look like for you. You know, one of the things that I always, I always say when we're talking to clients about the whole retirement issue, I, I, I want to say, okay, so they created the, the pension plan, then they, then they changed the name to retirement plan, and then they changed it to the 401k. And in the midst of that, what they did was 
the employer was originally uh, responsible for the pension plan and all of the details of that. Then they changed it to the retirement plan and they took half of it was the, the employer's uh, responsibility. The other half was the employees. And then they changed it to the 401k and they dumped the entire thing on the responsibility of the employee. Now, that means that all of these investment opportunities and things that they've got going on inside the retirement plan is the employee's responsibility. You know, do any of these employees understand investing? None of them. Well, and I, I'm generalizing, you know, because some of them take a real interest and in go in and find out where do I put my money and how do I get it really working? But 99% of them are going to go, I'm just going to let the investment company, the benefits company hang on to this and then they retire. So my, com my comment to many, many people is go talk to some guys between the age of 65 and 75 years old right now and see how, how they feel about their 401k or their retirement package. Yeah. Uh, I think people's eyes will be completely open. So your comment that this whole thing was actually created on a faulty premise is exactly correct. So what we've got to do is we as infinite banking people are helping people think beyond the 65 year age, but yet help them create this kind of freedom and flexibility in their lives today. Yes. So as they're building their plan, they even build in more flexibility and more freedom as time goes along because What's happening is we're designing and creating this plan that's not going to work for them just right now, but it's going to be unbelievable down the road. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, went off on a tangent. No, that's good. Got excited. Stuff. It well, you know, it's it's right in our lane because we love what we get to do. Yep. And I don't imagine a time when I would stop doing this. It might look different. I may have different roles and things like that, but why would I stop doing this? You oh. know, why would I stop contributing and sharing this concept with people? And I, I know you feel the same. Oh my goodness. So uh, we're going to wrap up this section of the podcast and we're going to turn around and get started right away uh, with the next part of it. But I want to end with this. Nelson says he once read that John Templeton, the creator of the Templeton Fund, who, quote, retired at age 80, <laughs> is <laughs> now doing only charitable work and working harder than ever, he says. He made the observation that all should plan on working to at least age 70 before considering retirement. The most productive years are being wasted, as you mentioned earlier. Amen. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. We're going to jump right back into this for our next podcast, uh, trying to break it up into small chunks for you guys. And um, if you don't have a copy of Nelson Nash's book or, or any of the others, um, you can find a variety of, of resources on our website at lifesuccesslegacy.com. We appreciate you taking the time to walk through Nelson's book with us and, and honor his, him, the man, as well as his, his ideas. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.